It is an unmovable fact that I killed Harlan. Yes, you did. Yes, he did. Yes, you are. But, but, I spoke in the car about the hole at the center of this donut. And what you and Harlan did that fateful night seems at first glance to fill that hole perfectly. A donut hole in a donut's hole. But we must look a little closer. And when we do, we see the donut hole has a hole in its center. It is not a donut hole, but a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut is not a hole at all. Mark, look, I understand that this is amusing for you. Why was I hard? Why would someone harm me? Someone fishing for a crime to reverse the will, Blanc. But I was hard before the sealed will was read. So, so yes, the person must have known the contents of the will. But one step further, that same person must have known a crime was committed. And further, if the intent was to reverse Marta's inheritance, they must have known that Marta was responsible. An intriguing combination of factors. Someone who knew what Marta did, wanted to expose it, but could not reveal how they knew. Fran, she was blackmailing me. She knew what I did. Yeah, but Fran wanted money. Ugo, she did not want the crime exposed. Well, there's someone in the family had observed Marta doing something suspicious. But they would have had no reason not to speak up. The answer is not so simple. Now, with the entire solution in my field of view, the arc of this case is a tragedy of errors. Amada, it will not be easy for you to hear. But there is at least one truly guilty party behind it all. Guilty in the true sense of acting with malice and committing a heinous crime with selfish intent. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 294, Knives Out. Ryan Johnson, a director that I don't think we've talked about since the In Defense of the Last Jedi episode. To give us a second. Well, this is listener request number 32, courtesy of Eric. All right, Eric, thank you. Eric prefers our shorter episodes. Oh, hard to not take that as an insult. <laughs> he mentioned that on Twitter. So we're going to try to keep this somewhat contained. We'll do what we can to keep it under two hours this time. I think that's probably a good thing. This is one of those movies where you can dive into every moment. Yeah, it's very densely layered. Everything connects. It's something that I'm actually in awe of the skill yeah. of how to write stuff like this. Whether... You want to go back to the source material, not the direct source material, but the inspiration material like Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. those kind of novels and these murder mystery type things that are very well set up. And I just don't know how you think of all that stuff. Right. 
I think it's a special kind of skill to be able to connect everything together and make sure it all makes sense. Oh, totally. But yeah, Knives Out is a super cool movie. We're excited to talk about it. But before we jump in, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. This is really turning into an extended busy season starting with Greatest October. We're really cramming everything in and giving you a lot to listen to. But we're making up for a little bit of a light beginning of the year. Yeah. Took a lot of random time off. So we're marching towards episode number 300. And Since uh, so many people were not okay with the time off. Well, it does confuse people. Yeah. People are always wondering whether we're coming back or what's going on. Right. If you're enjoying the program, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It means so much to us. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter or wherever you can drop us a line. Let us know what you're thinking about different stuff. If you'd like a free sticker, as always, let us know and we'll send that to you. And find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby on there i think that about does it for all of the housekeeping material sure does let's get into knives out a movie that is probably going to turn into a classic traditional thanksgiving film i saw it on thanksgiving day 2019 yeah definitely has a family vibe to it Knives Out was written and directed by Ryan Johnson, released in 2019, as I mentioned. And I think since that's the before time, as mm-hmm. we're calling it now, oh yeah, let's get into the doom and gloom. Okay. The doom and gloom stuff, you know we love it. <laughs> Nothing is more fun <laughs> for us to talk about. Man, was 2019 the end of original cinema as we know it? Is that the end of the era? Are we able to say that now? Yeah, probably. This was a monster hit. It made $312.9 million on a $40 million budget. It's not based on any pre-existing yeah. IP. It's not a sequel. It's not an adaptation. It's not even a big budget special effects thing. It's not a remake or anything else. No. Part Clue, part Succession, part Agatha Christie novel. This was the year of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, of Us... I think there was maybe one or two other original films that made a lot of money. But now when you look at what's doing well in 2022, which is maybe more or less the first post-COVID theatrical year, you're talking about Top Gun Maverick, which is a sequel. You're talking about Black Panther and Black Adam, which are superheroes, part of pre-existing IP. There's not a ton to get super excited about. There's smaller stuff. Everything Everywhere All at Once did well. Nope did reasonably well. And a lot of smaller budget horror did really well, which I alluded to in the past. Mm. But it's not the same as movies like this coming out five, six, seven times a year, which hasn't been the case since even before 2019. But you know what I'm saying. That's right. Things were sort of on a downward trend in terms of theater attendance. But I would say since we've come back, it's really... A dead scene. (laughs) There's a lot of nights where we are a couple of not many people in the theater. (laughs) And even look at what happened with the deal for the sequels for Knives Out, which is a Netflix thing. We'll talk more about that later. Matt and I 
botched any kind of opportunity really <laughs> to see Glass Onion the just not committed the Knives Out sequel. We're not really up on what's happening day to day as much as we should be. And I thought we missed it, and now we're in the middle of that window. But now we're recording this, so needless to say, we didn't see it. Yeah. But it's only going to be out in theaters for a week, and then it's going to be on Netflix. I would guess that. That's part of whatever deal Ryan Johnson made was to make sure it was going to be in the theaters at least for a week. By the time they get to the next sequel, which was part of the big deal with Netflix, okay. will they even bother with that at that point? In I'm assuming 2025 or whenever that happens. I find it kind of a bummer that this has to turn into like a series. Well, it depends. Yeah. We'll see how it if goes. If the new one is yeah. good, then it'll be like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And that'll be in the same vein as... Murder on the Orient Express, right. Death on the Nile, that kind of a thing. But it was a, f- a refreshing movie to pop in there because of the things that you mentioned. It was also sort of a unexpected comeback for Ryan Johnson. Now, I know The Last Jedi was a financial success, but certainly made a lot of waves among cinema fans. And this was mostly beloved. After making the 2005 film Brick... The writer and director Ryan Johnson came up with the basic concept for Knives Out. In June 2010, he expressed interest in making an Agatha Christie-inspired murder mystery film. He told The Independent that he wanted to make the film after finishing Looper in 2012. However, Johnson's next film project became Star Wars The Last Jedi. Johnson spent seven months writing the script after finishing his press tour for Star Wars, which... As you mentioned, we did a Give Us a Second, which I don't even really remember what we were even talking about. I think it was because a lot of the fandom surrounding Star Wars turned very toxic and racist in a weird way that I just don't think I realized because we're a little too old to live online like that. Definitely. And the whole thing was sort of mind-blowing to me that no matter how you felt about The Last Jedi or any of the new Star Wars stuff, it just was so ugly and weird to me. I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then I think in the years since then and witnessing some of the same stuff happen with Game of Thrones or different other things where fandoms get very weird. Definitely. Maybe take it a little too seriously. It's made me really less interested in franchise IP for the most part. I would agree. It's like they've worn us down, the fans. Yeah, the fans for things are so unbearable to me that <laughs> I just can't fuck with it anymore. I know. There's a reason why we don't have any. Marvel like fans are way. super toxic, too. God forbid anyone even say anything remotely yeah. less than favorable about Marvel, and then it turns into a whole thing every goddamn time. There is a weird mob mentality to it all. Yeah, and I think it started, for me, with the fallout from The Last Jedi, a film that I remember being kind of neutral on. Same. I don't I'm really okay even it. remember it that well now. Yeah. I think I only saw it once. I think I watched it twice, but it has been a while. Now, there is a character in this film, which is supposed to be representative of the online trolls, mm. man babies, <laughs> etc., which is the young kid played by Jaden Martell. Yeah, yeah. Johnson cited several mystery thrillers and mystery comedies as influences, including The Last of Sheila, Murder on the Orient Express, Something's Afoot, Murder by Death, Death on the Nile, The Private Eyes, The Mirror Cracked, Evil Under the Sun, Death Trap, Clue, and Gosford Park. The 1972 version of Sleuth, a favorite whodunit adjacent of Johnson's, was also an inspiration, particularly for the setting and set design. 
The title was taken from the 2001 Radiohead song, Knives Out. Johnson, a Radiohead fan, said, Obviously the movie has nothing to do with the song. That turn of phrase has always stuck in my head. And it just seemed like a great title for a murder mystery. The name Harlan Thromby is taken from a 1981 Choose Your Own Adventure whodunit, Who Killed Harlow Thromby. Ah. The cool thing about Knives Out, it's a massive star-studded cast, an ensemble that really gets your attention right away. It's something that we don't see a lot of. Now, I know that Disney slash Fox had some cursed attempts here with Murder on the Orient Express Mm -hmm. and Death on the Nile. Both of those casts ended up seeming semi-canceled at various points. (laughs) Well, that happens. But for whatever reason, luck or better vetting process, the cast of Knives Out is interesting right away. Uh Uh-huh. You don't see it and feel weird about it. You're kind of like, oh, this is interesting and cool. But I think that since there's so many characters and so many high-profile people, it's probably easier to run through them now. That way, we don't have to stop every five seconds to give a little bit of character detail because some of the characters come in and out at the beginning and whatever. The story centers around Daniel Craig as Benoit Blanc, a private detective, and he is the center of this new universe. He is the character that's going to be returning in Glass Onion and the third film in the series. I would describe his accent as ridiculous but entertaining. Shocking that a man named Benoit has this Texas drawl. I don't think it's supposed to be like a Texas drawl. I think it's supposed to be more... Well, they were saying that it was supposed to be a combination of foghorn leghorn okay and the character harlan pepper from best in show which oddly enough is played by christopher guest jamie oh, wow. curtis's okay. husband interesting well the name benoit makes you think louisiana okay yeah like cajun french sure kind of a thing uh, yeah but i'm not sure i don't think he's supposed to be texan though i don't know it sounds like a texas accent to me but chris evans As Hugh Ransom Drysdale, he is the son of Linda and Richard. Linda is Jamie Lee Curtis, who plays the eldest daughter of Harlan Thromby. Her husband is played by Don Johnson, playing Richard Drysdale. Ana de Armas, Harlan's Mm -hmm. nurse, Marta Cabrera. Now, I remember seeing the trailers for this movie, and it was not clear to me that she is almost the main character of this movie. Yeah, I didn't realize until I saw it in the theater. I thought she was like going to be like the eighth build character. Yeah, this was a big moment for her uh-huh. and a big moment for the podcast. Really? <laughs> in, yeah. As a result. A coming out party. Yeah, we thought it was going to be Blade Runner 2049. That movie didn't do as well at the box office as people wanted it to. So it had to come a little bit later. Michael Shannon plays Walt Thromby, Harlan's youngest son. He's married to Ricky Lindholm. Not really a huge part. Nope. His son is Jaden Martell, Jacob Thromby. He plays the online troll. They refer to him several times as a Nazi. And this is Bill from It, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Tony Collette as Joni Thromby, the widow of Harlan's deceased son, Neil. The always beloved Tony Collette, I would say. Yeah, always a favorite on this podcast. An interesting little wrinkle in the movie, too, is that Harlan has a son who passed away, and they never really explain that. Hmm. Not that it's a huge deal, but it does make you curious as to what that story is. I'd say. Lakeith Stanfield as Detective Lieutenant Elliot. Catherine Langford as Meg Thromby, Joni's daughter. 
Meg is actually an interesting character because in watching this a couple of times in preparation for the podcast, I was trying to figure out, is she sincere at any point? Or is it she's sort of the equivalent of like the fake online activist woke type person who is not really sincere and she's just as selfish as everyone else. Yeah. And it's all kind of a fraud. I don't know. I think that a little bit. I think she kind of just comes off as like a typical college kid where you're mostly just concerned with what's going on with you and your friends. Yeah. I guess she's not as insidiously evil, but she is sort of vapid and self-centered. Christopher Plummer. As Harlan Thrombey, an 85-year-old best-selling crime novelist. This was actually Plummer's last film to be filmed before his death in 2021, though it was released before a different film, The Last Full Measure, which was actually filmed before that. He does remind me of his character in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Yeah, also with Daniel Craig. That's right. Although they don't actually share any scenes together in this film. True. Edie Patterson is Fran, Harlan's housekeeper. Frank Oz, returning from Star Wars to be Alan Stevens, Harlan's counsel. Kay Callan as Juanetta, great Nana Thromby, Harlan's mother. Kay Callan actually six years younger than Christopher Plummer, (laughs) but playing his mother in this. In the most shocking reveal. Noah Sagan as Trooper Wagner. He's just a regular police officer. He is a guy that pops up in a lot of Ryan Johnson's films. Oh, yeah. As you were telling me. Joseph Gordon-Levitt actually has a voice cameo, if you want to have another brick okay, crossover. Tie He's on the TV as like the TV detective. All right. Also, uh, Gary Tangway, a reporter from the Boston media, makes an appearance on TV at some point. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I knew him. M. Emmett Walsh as Mr. Proofrock, a security guard. Oh, yeah. that was. It's like stunning to see him because I was like... Man, I couldn't believe that he was alive, to be honest. <laughs> I'm sure he'd be so thrilled to hear that. <laughs> well, good for him. He's outlived my expectations. He actually replaced someone who passed away during filming. We'll talk about that later when that scene comes up. Sort of a famous longtime character actor, though. Knives Out is a fun, sink-your-teeth-into-it kind of film. The performances are scenery-chewing, over-the-top And it's a reminder, especially in these times right now, with some of these movies bombing hard at the box office, that not every movie has to be so fucking dreary and self-serious and capital I important. (laughs) Oh, I wonder why people aren't going to see the Harvey Weinstein media movie, blah, blah, blah. It's like, oh my God. Can you really imagine a scenario now in 2022 when people rarely go to the movie theaters that that's the movie they're going to go to see? That seems like something we'd see in the old Squirrel Hill Theater where like half the crowd walks out (laughs) and the rest is like uncomfortable. Because they have no idea what it is. Right, exactly. Yeah, because it seems like those people just see every movie in that theater. Yeah, those days are gone. Yeah, yeah. The days where we would (laughs) see like 100 movies in the theater, that's not going to happen. And people are way more picky and choosy about what they're going to see. And I think people would be much more excited to see things like Knives Out rather than these very serious, important movies where we're all supposed to feel bad and important rather than entertained. Yeah, right. And look, I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but in the world of streaming... I like Dreary. That is what streaming feels like it's for. I feel like she said the Harvey Weinstein journalism movie would probably do well on Hulu or Netflix or whatever. 
Is that a movie that people are going to get in their car and drive to go see? Well, clearly not. It didn't happen. (laughs) But people did go see Knives Out. So in interest of keeping it short for Eric's sake, let's jump into the plot. What a fun script this is. I would say Johnson really playing with the audience's expectations. Yeah, there's a lot of toying with the audience, making you think you know what's going on, letting you in a little bit, but then you realize there's still an hour and 45 minutes left, so what else could there be? A lot of jumping in time through flashbacks, through characters' testimony, through characters' talking, so you see different parts of the story at different times, only when it's appropriate for you to be let in on this information. It begins with Fran. She's carrying up Harlan's breakfast. The mug says, my house, my rules, my coffee. Fran, the housekeeper, finds Harlan dead in the morning with his throat slit. Very Mm -hmm. dramatic. Definitely. Fran really a pivotal player in the movie. Yeah, which is weird because she's only really in the beginning here and then doesn't factor a ton into it until the last half hour. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, at some point during the writing process, the filming process, and all of that, Johnson decided to go for a PG-13. So two things had to happen. He had to get rid of fuck, which was said throughout the script, and replace it. And the blood Mm. in this sequence and later became an issue. They had to digitally remove some of it. It's a little scaled down, I guess, from what they were originally going for, but it's not really that type of movie, so you don't really care. Agreed. I feel like he made the right choice. This feels like it works more as a PG-13 movie. Yeah, I don't think the box office would have been 312 well, agreed. at R. It probably would have been about half of that. The story then picks up one week after Harlan Thrombey's demise, and we are introduced to Marta Cabrera, Harlan's nurse, and she is having a hard time, clearly waking up from some troubled sleep. She gets called to the mansion, law enforcement hanging around, asking questions. The first of the Thrombey clan Marta encounters at the mansion is Meg, one of the younger ones. As I was saying, it's sort of a struggle to determine how sincere she is. Because even towards the very end, after she betrays Marta, she's apologizing and hugging her and all Mm -hmm. of that stuff. But then at the very end, she seems just as mad and upset as anyone else. So it's sort of hard to tell. Well, she's got a lot riding on this whole thing with her school tuition. One of the main things that comes through in the film, I think one of the important takeaways that obviously Johnson was trying to highlight is how the Thromby clan all treat Marta throughout the film. At various points, different family members say that Marta is from different countries. They don't seem (laughs) to know what country she's from. Paraguay, Uruguay. Ana de Armas is Cuban. I do think they say Cuban at one point. I think her mother in the film is also Cuban, Mm. so... I'm guessing maybe that's what they're actually going for. Different family members tell her that they wanted to invite her to the funeral, but they were outvoted. (laughs) And the first time you hear it, you think, okay, maybe that was sincere. But then the more times you hear it, you realize there's no way this could be sincere. She's like, okay, well, who voted against it? She's often referred to as kiddo, which I think is intentional. Yeah, there's definitely a look down upon. The racism is rarely ever blatant, which is why it's important to note, because you can have caricatures of overtly racist people, sure. and then you sort of get 
bogged down in that noise. If they're calling her various slurs or whatever, uh-huh. you're kind of like, okay, there's just shit people. But there's a clear view of less than. Yeah, and I think that we learn from films like this or Get Out even that sometimes the more subtle forms of it are worse because they creep in and there's a million things you can take out of it. Either the people don't realize they're doing it, it just becomes part of culture, it becomes normalized, whatever. Mm -hmm. These people, for the most part, with the exception of maybe the online troll, (laughs) they probably don't think of themselves as racist at all. I'm sure. They think they're good people, which is part of the fun is they're not, but (laughs) (laughs) you have to have them convincingly believing that they are they keep telling marta you're part of the family they at various points insinuate that they want to take care of her financially whatever that means which seems generous and nice but again it's just smoke it's just words Uh there's not really a lot behind it you don't get the sense that it's even really that genuine they're just saying things to talk and marta is chill as fuck constantly she just rolls with it. She never corrects Definitely. people. She never gets mad at them. She never even judges them, really, even though she probably could. She's a saint, I'd say. There's a hilarious moment between her and Don Johnson later <laughs> that we'll talk about when we get there that I guess Johnson came up with it, but it's so funny and subtle and demeaning that it's unbelievable. We find out that Ransom missed the funeral, and he is kept from the audience for a while, which in a way... Feels like a clue. Yeah, it's tipping its hand a little bit. I feel like if you cast Captain America in this part and then you're withholding him from the audience for a while, then clearly in your mind, you're jumping to the conclusion that he's going to factor in. Right. It's a little bit like Stellan Skarsgård in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Sure. You you just know. But I was saying to you before we started recording that even when I watched this for the first time in the theater, that never bothered me because you're so impressed with how it all... I agree. Comes together. It doesn't throw anything off. I love Chris Evans's performance in this film. I'm not like a huge Chris Evans guy. He mostly does things like Captain America or very anonymous feeling movies that don't really get me going in any way. But he's also done stuff that I thought was funny, like not Scott another Pilgrim. Teen movie. <laughs> not another teen movie, Scott Pilgrim. But yeah, this yeah. seems to be the one time where he's really excelling in a well-written, fun role. Yeah. Which he seems almost built for. He does play like a rich, cocky asshole well. (laughs) I don't know if there's anything to that, but he can pull it off. And so we're being introduced to the characters quickly, and we're kept off balance, which I think is supposed to, in some way, put us in the same headspace as Marta, even though she does already know these people and is familiar with them. But there's never a time where Marta isn't overwhelmed, and throughout the course of the film we'll learn why because she's harboring a secret at this point but even beyond what happened with harlan it seems like her life is sort of overwhelming when these people are in town when it's just her and harlan it's cool but then all of these other people are constantly talking at her i know almost unnecessarily like they're constantly dragging her into their shit i guess we have to point out there's a giant sculpture slash art piece of a bunch of knives all pointing into a circle. Yes. And sometimes people's head will be framed perfectly in that circle, which I guess is by design. But it's one of those things where you have to mention it now because right, <laughs> it comes up later. It, it factors in. So let's get our bearings just a little bit because a lot is happening Please. 
at the house. We have a murder, and now people are being collected together after the funeral to give statements again, and it's sort of annoying people, but there is a reason. Everything started when the family of the deceased, Harlan Thromby, who was a very wealthy mystery novelist, all attended his 85th birthday party at his Massachusetts mansion. The next morning is the morning Fran discovered Mr. Thromby with his throat slit. Lieutenant Elliot, played by Stanfield, and Trooper Wagner, Noah Sagan, they believe that Harlan's death is an open and shut suicide, albeit dramatic. (laughs) It is wild, I have to say. Not a lot of throat slitting as the primary choice for suicide. That's true, but his fingerprints would be on the knife. There's The blood spatter is not interrupted. There was no one standing there. I get it. However, a private detective of some renown, he of New Yorker profile, subject matter, Benoit Blanc, played by Daniel Craig, has been anonymously hired to mm-hmm. investigate, which makes the situation seem far murkier. It is interesting, though, the way that they set this up where it seems like he's calling the shots. Yeah. Which I don't think would ever really be the case. No, they have to sort of dance around that a little bit where he's so famous and renowned that the actual police are deferring to him a lot. Which is sort of how it works with these murder mystery things where there's like this one genius guy and everyone eats it up. Totally. (laughs) Well, I would be. Plus, Daniel Craig, just a good-looking man with presence. I'd totally be listening to every word he said. Through various interviews with the family members, Blanc learns that Harlan's relationships with all of them were strained. In fact, it was on the very day of his death that Harlan threatened to expose his son-in-law, Richard, for cheating on his daughter, Linda. Speaking of getting into it, (laughs) you were at the house early to help the caterers set up. Did, Did you converse with Harlan at that time? Well, he was there. We must have spoke. In his study? I don't think so. You see, I spoke with the caterer this morning. She didn't see you helping her staff. She did hear Harlan in a screaming match with somebody that afternoon in his study. I don't... Screaming match? Mm Mm-hmm. No? Um... But Joni was here, too. Um, She was early, so it might have been her. Maybe you ask her. These were two male voices. Harlan shouted the phrase, You tell her or I will. You tell her or I will. Bell's ringing. That's none of your business. You stay out of my marriage. I know my daughter, and she would want to know. I've put all of it in this letter to her. Tomorrow she gets it. Harlan, I'm warning you. No, she deserves to know. You stay out of my marriage. She deserves to know, and you're going to tell her. The hell I am! You tell her, or I will. Yes, I know. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Harlan had finally decided to put his mom in a nursing home, and Linda had always opposed that. And I wanted to wait until we got back to Boston to to tell Linda, so to avoid a whole scene. And Harlan wanted me to tell her then. That was it. Sorry, forgot. He also cut off his daughter-in-law Joni's allowance after it was discovered that she was double-dipping on her daughter Meg's tuition. 
and pocketing the extra cash. Harlan then also fired his son, Walt, from his publishing company. And finally, he had an altercation with his grandson, Ransom. May I just... Then I'll recede, but as a self-made man myself, I have to express my admiration for how you followed in your father's footsteps. Thank you. Just marvelous. You know, the whole family, too, and Joni with her thing, Walt with his publishing empire. It's, it's... Well, yes, I mean, Walt, he's done well with what Dad gave him. Not that it matters, but really, Dad hands him a book twice a year, and Walt publishes it. It's just not the same. But surely Walt runs the merchandising, adaptations, film and television rights. I mean, are you baiting me, detective? You know he doesn't. And if you think I am dumb enough to be baited into talking family business, into shit-talking my baby brother in front of a police detective and a state trooper... Walt doesn't run shit. Because there are no TV and film rights. Harlan never allowed any adaptations of his books. Hated the idea. No. Yeah. Drives Walt nuts, because that's where the real money is. Walt would get a little Irish courage in him. He'd get into it with Harlan. Did he get into it at the party? Oh, my God. Come on, Ed. This wouldn't is... leave him alone, the poor guy. Harlan finally had to give him the hook. I didn't hear what he said, but he must have really handed him his lunch. Because Walt was like a wounded puppy the rest of the night. What? Richard said what? No, Jesus, we did not get into it. I'm just trying to get an accurate impression. Harlan took you aside at the party. When you returned, you were chastened. What did Harlan say to you? The Netflix guy's a business affair guy. He sent something over. It's hard numbers this time. And I just think this is a window that's not going to stay open. We need to take advantage of it. But then you just need to look at the numbers. Walt. Dad, Dad, you you put me in charge of our books. Let me be in charge. Let me do this, please. They're not our books, son. They're my books. And this is not how I wanted to have this conversation. But you're right. You're right. It's, It's unfair of me to keep you tethered to something that isn't yours to control. What? I've done you a grave disservice. All these years, I've kept you from building something of your own that was yours. But you're not going to be running the, the publishing house anymore. You're free of it. Oh. Dad, are you firing me? No, (laughs) we'll talk details tomorrow. My mind's made up. Good boy. We talked, we had a business discussion about e-books. Jesus, it was nothing. You want to talk about an argument? Hell, Ransom had an argument with him. Ransom, that's uh, Richard and Linda's son. Hmm. Look, we all love Ransom. He's a good kid. We love him. But? But he's always been the black sheep of the family. Uh, 
and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I, I like to keep stuff like this in the family, but with Ransom, he's never had a job. And Dad, for some unknown reason, always supported him. They have this love-hate bond. They fight. But that night, God, they had a blowout. About what? Are you goddamn insane? We couldn't make it out, really, but it was huge. And it's strange. They went into another room to do it. Usually, they like to stoke up drama in front of the whole family. Yeah, I gotta say, what just a major blow for Walt. Good Lord, can you imagine having that taken away from you? Yeah, it's one of those things where they're coming from the perspective that Harlan late in life feels like he's done his children and relatives a disservice by allowing them to lean on him, his money, his collection of work, etc., rather than be afforded the opportunity to build things on their own. But it's rough. It's rough to do this this late in life mm-hmm. because everybody's built their whole lives around what they have. Yeah, pulling the rug out from under while Obviously, these people are spoiled shits, and they're terrible. Uh-huh. It's not the greatest thing ever to do this, I think. No, I will say there's parts of the movie where I can get into their perspective and find Harlan kind of hateable. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that he should have given them time. Yeah. Not, this is happening today, but you I- better start getting prepared. Listen, if I was in this family for this will reading... I'd be like breaking chairs. I'd be proposing marriage to <laughs> yeah. Marta immediately. Well, I would have been doing that anyway. <laughs> That's true. That is the elephant in the room is Marta is so beautiful that I know it feels like people would have to say it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the right word. They try to dress her in a way that's like, it's not nerdy, but just sort of like understated. Yeah. Although that purple cardigan that she rocks. Under the radar. Yeah. We find out that Harlan's birthday and the day of his death is my birthday, November 8th. Holy shit. It also felt a little bit like The Godfather when he was doing all of this stuff, oh, settling yeah. all family That's business. Right. Yeah, all for once. real this time. We're yeah. just doing it all right now. <laughs> also during this sequence, when Benoit Blanc is first seen by us, the audience, he is sitting in the study listening to Elliot question the Thromby family members, and then he's playing the same note on the piano at seemingly random intervals. But, of course, it's not random at all. This is the signal to have Elliot ask the same question, what time did you arrive at the house? And... This is obviously something they've orchestrated together beforehand to direct the questioning. I'm assuming there were some holes in the initial stories. As you said, he's the one calling the shots in a weird way. Yeah, and it's also clear by some of his questioning later that he's already spoken to the caterers and some of the other people as well. Mm -hmm. So he kind of has ideas about stuff that was going on. Maybe I've heard some different accounts. We find out about Walt's son, Jacob. (laughs) Even Richard, who seems later in the film to be a pretty big right-wing type guy. Mm-hmm. He's like, the boy is literally a Nazi. <laughs> and then in the flashback to the night of the party, I love Tony Collette as Joni dancing oh, yeah. to the, what is that, the cure? I can't even remember what she's dancing to. I'm not sure. She's trying to reel in Linda, and Linda's like yeah. yanking her arm away. <laughs> she is, I would guess, somewhat a parody of Gwyneth Paltrow. Because okay. her company is yeah. called Flam. Okay. Yeah, that, I was thinking uh, there's a ton of accounts of... Yeah. I guess yeah. you pick Gwyneth because she's actually famous and right. successful. But yeah, there's a million wannabes of that kind of a thing. Yeah. But I she, mean, even like a ton of successful celebrities have 
tried those types of ventures. Yeah. There's also an odd little connection to Roger Rabbit with the Invisible Ink bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what are the chances we would do two movies with Invisible Ink well, as a thing? That always seems to be the case. Blanc's presence makes everyone uneasy, and to the audience, as we are meeting these characters, listening to them talk, we now see them all as suspicious, and like they all have motives to kill Harlan. Definitely. Because they're not revealing necessarily everything yeah. to Blanc, but we are seeing in the flashbacks that there's a lot of anger and upset and concern going well, on. Even like some lies going on in the stories that were being yeah. fed. Everyone's very willing to lie. Yeah. But ultimately, the way that Blanc, Elliot, Wagner are ultimately able to confirm their suspicions comes down to a peculiar affliction suffered by Marta, who is also at the house. Mm -hmm. We were just discussing possible motives in the family. I suspect that Harlan has told you much unfiltered truth about each of them. And a little bird has told me... How shall I put this delicately? You have a regurgitative reaction to mistruthing. <laughs> Who told you that? Is it true? Uh, yes. Oh. It's something I've had since I was a kid. It's a physical thing that I... Just the thought of lying. Yeah, it, it makes, makes me puke. Really? Is Richard having an affair? Why do men instinctively pull at loose threads on their parachutes? What? Richard? Mm-hmm. An affair? Yeah. A yes or no will do. No. Oh, shit. Oh, dear girl, I'm sorry. I assumed you were speaking figuratively. It turns out that Marta cannot lie without throwing up. True. Which doesn't feel like a real thing that could be possible, but it's a convenient tool for the film. Benoit Blanc says you have a regurgitative reaction to non-truthin'. Something I thought like it was mistruthin'. Oh, mistruthin', maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now, as is always the case when things like this are introduced, whether it's rules being made up for gremlins or rules being <laughs> made up for whatever is new in a movie that you have to explain to the audience, the actual mechanics of it don't always 100% make sense. Sometimes she vomits immediately. Sometimes she's able to hold it for a minute true yeah until it's convenient to go run off and puke or something but i was also thinking that she actually uses the phrase just thinking about lying makes me sick or something Uh which is weird because of how things play out where they're talking about well you can get around this by just not telling the whole truth and isn't that in a way a lie yeah isn't specifically not telling the whole truth its own form of lying if you're a lie omitter so it's almost as if she it's like she has to cross a boundary to actually say the lie to get the vomit, which doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense because if it was real, it would be more of the emotion associated with it 
which would make me think that even some of the territory she gets in in the film where she's dancing around the truth, that would make her sick too. Because it's the emotion associated with not telling the truth, not the actual act of saying words that aren't true. It's not like a magic spell. Well, it's certainly a trait that could only belong to the innocent. That's for sure. (laughs) All right, summing it up. I think we'd be in trouble. Now, for the sake of our own sanity and for the sake of keeping this somewhat reasonable, let's condense this down a little bit where they start going through the various timelines and all of the different factors and how they know this and how they know that. It's a lot of stuff with a creaky staircase, barking dogs, a kathunk on the floor. (laughs) We don't really need to get into the specifics of the timelines, but needless to say... It's done in a way where it doesn't seem as if anyone else could have possibly gone up the steps. Marta leaves at a certain time. Harlan is spotted after that, coming downstairs. As I said, no one else goes up, but there Mm -hmm. is a barking dog situation in the yard. That's pretty much it. It's not super crucial to get all this down because it ultimately doesn't matter once you know the truth anyway. Plus, they kind of walk you through all these things a few times. It's while Marta's being formally questioned by Blanc that we, as the audience, learn the truth of that fateful night. This comes in the form of a flashback and not from her direct testimony. And so Blanc and co. are still in the dark. It's an interesting choice when you're building a murder mystery film to seemingly reveal what happened 30 or so minutes into the movie. Mm -hmm. Now... Because it's so early, you could come to the conclusion that there might be more to it. I'd but say. you could also think, okay, now this is interesting because it's toying with the audience's expectations and emotions. Because uh-huh. what do we want to happen now? We think Marta is sweet and innocent and she seems great. And we watch what happens with her and Harlan. Right, which you're on her side here. Like she didn't intentionally do anything wrong. Right, so then the audience becomes thinking, okay, we know what happened, but now we want her to get away with it. And we think that's what the crux of the film is now for a minute. But we're also sort of on the side of just naturally Benoit Blanc solving the case. Do we naturally assume there will be more to the story? Probably yes. I think so. It's also hard to take yourself out of the story while you're watching it and think, okay, who hired Benoit Blanc? That isn't a question you're necessarily... As an audience member coming back to every five seconds. It's a shock, or at least I thought it was a shock, that they're revealing all of this right now. Yeah, it's an interesting structure to a murder mystery because you think that you solved how Mm -hmm. the murdered person died, and you do. Right. We know how he died. And you're like, well, what else could there be? He slit his own throat. We get it. And he thought he was overdosed on morphine, which... As far as we know, he was at this point. Mm -hmm. We get the whole story. So what happened was Marta and Harlan, after the party, the 85th birthday party, go upstairs to play a board game before Harlan goes to sleep. They have this fun, lovable rapport, joking around, laughing, teasing each other. However, it seems as if Marta accidentally mixed up his medications, making her think she overdosed him with morphine. She's unable to find the antidote, which should have been in her medical bag, apparently leaving Harlan only minutes to live. Wanting to save Marta's family from scrutiny, as her mother is an undocumented immigrant, Harlan then gave her instructions to create a false alibi, and he slits his own throat. 
in the yeah. process. Now, there's some definite things that jump out to me. Okay. First of all, he would know that they're going to do a toxicology report. I agree. So if he truly believes that he overdosed on morphine, I don't know that this is the ticket out that he thinks it is. But at the same time, if the family doesn't question it too much, but he has to know well, you're his not own family, though. implying that he had the foresight to think that there was even more at play here. No. Okay. But it just... A, it, it's I not, know it does seem like he would... With everything else that he knows, he should know this. It's a wild move, though. <laughs> well, to be fair, he is putting this entire plan together in like 30 seconds. I know, because he's thinking like a mystery writer, yeah. which is so funny, because he, he's giving her every tip of what to do. Here's how you're going to sneak back into the house. You're right. going to put on my clothes and make them think they're seeing me. You have to worry about the security camera, which she botches. Various things. Yeah, it's actually a hilarious sequence how they actually play you through her driving and then not knowing if he says to turn before the statue or after. And like she says, like all three. Yeah. I was wondering, though, when he's scrambling to come up with this insane plan right on the spur of the moment when he thinks he's about to die, if there's possible other motives beyond just her mother and the undocumented immigrant thing and all that stuff. Because yeah. I was wondering, is he considering his own will and his plans to cut off his family? And he realizes that if she gets blamed, that they're going to end up with all of his money anyway. And so it was for all for nothing. Uh huh. I don't know. At this point, he's just trying to make sure that she's not yeah. going down for this. It probably wouldn't be something you would get to. You're probably not that worried about your money at that point when you're realizing you're about to die. Yeah. And it does ultimately work against him that he doesn't listen to her and just let her call an ambulance. I feel like he's a little quick to be like, okay, you definitely messed this up. Yeah, which actually contradicts with himself with things he says to her in some of those flashbacks when he's talking about Richard and cheating on Linda and everything, and he's talking about how men always are, I forget how he phrases it, mm. but picking at the tethering of their own parachute or something, oh, yeah. you know? And it's, he basically does that. He does rushes into this thing without any foresight and calmness, and if he just listened to her, it would have worked out. But we don't know that yet, obviously. Right. We're he's 85. He had a good life. It was good enough. Yeah. Who knew it was all going to end by him slitting his own throat, but... Pay attention now. Your mom is still undocumented. And if this is your fault, she'll be found out and at best deported, and your family will be broken. But we're not going to let that happen, are we? Huh? But you have to do exactly what I tell you. Will you do this, Arta? Hmm? This last thing for me, for your family... What do you want me to do? Go downstairs as noisily as you can, and then say goodbye loudly. Walt, I'm leaving. Call attention to the time. God, it's midnight already. If you can. Drive out the gate. Then to avoid the security cameras, pull off the road before the carved elephant. Wait, was it before or after? After the carved elephant. No, he said before. Was it? The after four, the carved elephant. Oh, shit. Park and come back on foot up to the house. Take the side yard path through the little gate. The dogs will know you. They shouldn't bark. You've got to get up to the third floor without being seen. 
and the only way is to climb the side trellis and come in through the trick hall window. You gotta be kidding me. I am not. Do it. God's sake, don't make any noise. Once you're inside, and this is the tricky part. This is the tricky part? Get my robe and cap from my bedroom and put them on. Harlan, this is crazy. I don't think I can no, do that. We need that. to make this so airtight that the average cop will entirely dismiss you as a suspect. It sounds crazy, but it'll work. Walter's smoking outside, and he'll see you through the glazed window. Dad, go back to bed. You were seen leaving. The security cameras show you driving off. And 20 minutes later, I'm seen alive and well by my son. <laughs> you see, you've gone from suspect number one to an impossibility. Leave the way you came and don't be seen. Are you back again already? In the flashback of these events, we see Harlan's ancient mother spotting Marta, carrying out his instructions, but she mistakes her for Ransom, who we already know stormed out of Harlan's party. We also already know Marta cannot lie without vomiting, so she gives accurate but incomplete answers to Blanc when questioned. Which is something that Harlan basically instructs her to do. Yes, that's part of the instructions of how to set this all up. It's almost taking such an unnecessary risk, though. Let's break that part of it down. The only reason she comes back to the house is so that she can pretend to be him, right? I know, which seems like you're setting yourself up to be caught. Is it really that likely she would be a suspect if there's the blood splatter and all that stuff? I don't think so. I know. It just seems weird that... That's his first thought, rather than, here's what you can say to make it sound like maybe I was depressed and suicidal. Right. You can say, I took my interactions with my family very hard. It was a I rough know. night for me. You know, that kind of thing. It is weird because they're doing an investigation based off of a throat slitting, but to your point, the toxicology report is always going to show that he was going to die from this, that he was going to overdose. I guess that you could think that he did it to himself because she leaves her bag there. That's true. So that was like part of it. Yeah. So that maybe I need to make sure I'm he wouldn't dead. feel it. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Not sure if that hundred milligrams of morphine was going to be enough. Let me slip my throat too. <laughs> well, I really want to make a statement. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, if I did that, it would take like weeks before anyone even find my body. It would be me. Well, actually, I wouldn't be able. I'd be trying to buzz in, <laughs> and I wouldn't be able to get in. A couple of times in the film, they reference a pretend movie starring Danica McKellar. I love that. Called Deadly by Surprise. Yeah. Winnie I guess Cooper. They didn't ask her permission to use her name, but she loved the movie and was like so happy that they mentioned her that she sent Ryan Johnson a knife that said Deadly by Surprise on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, Winnie Coop. Her and Candace Cameron Bure I know. are the two. Lifetime. Well, now they switch to that other channel or whatever. Hallmark yeah. channel? No, a different one altogether. Some new thing. Or okay. something. I don't know. 
another flashback to the night of Harlan's party. They get into this political talk, which was very of the moment, I think, in 2019. It's definitely between Joni, who I guess sees herself as a liberal, and then Richard, who's more of the conservative side. But he also is clearly saying that he doesn't like whoever they're talking about, but it's clearly Donald Trump. But maybe we need a guy like that, that kind of a thing. Oh, yeah. But the thing that really is entertaining now, even three years later, is how they drag Marta into it. (laughs) And she clearly doesn't even want to say anything or know what to say. Even Linda, Richard's wife, is like, leave her alone. Really? Joni's like, you don't have to say anything, but she's like standing there. And then the part that I was referring to earlier is that as this is happening, and he's like, well, they did it the right way. They they came to this country, pulled themselves up. And they're talking about how if everyone works and they get their share, meanwhile, they're all None expecting of them to be handed yeah, this money. But as he's doing that, he hands her his plate. As if she's a housekeeper or I like know. a maid or something and not a nurse. Yikes. And she just takes it. Ay, ay, ay. And I guess that was something that Don Johnson came up with. But yeah, it's, it is funny. It's those subtle little things, yeah. too, that are unbelievable. We also learn about Fran's stash of marijuana, which is in a clock in one of the rooms. This will come up Definitely. later. Yeah, a key piece. It seems like Meg is actually kind of close with. Fran and Marta to a certain extent, but we I do like how we see how quickly she'll stab them in the back later. Meg takes Marta into that room to like smoke a joint, lights it, takes one puff, and then throws it in the fire. Well, that's at the end. Yeah. Well, Marta says no, thank you. Right. But the implication is that she doesn't like Fran's weed because she's she uses that jewel. That's she mentions right. yeah. that earlier. Yeah, in the that's film. right. Yeah. Again. It's reiterated that the family has some desire to financially help out Marta, but there's not really any specifics given, and you're not really clear on what they're even talking about. It definitely does not feel genuine at this point. Mm -hmm. But the flashbacks between the night of the party and the night in the present blend together, and we realize that Blanc is still lingering around outside. Marta encounters him. He starts talking about gravity's rainbow, which I I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. It's written by Thomas Pynchon, who wrote Inherent Vice. Oh, so I So there's a connection. That. But yeah, his yeah. books are hard to read. I and did like that, how they were like, yeah, nobody's read it. <laughs> but I like the title. Yeah. Detective. You're still here? Mm. Did you know Harlan? He knew my father, who was a police detective years ago. Hmm. My father respected Harlan. That says quite a lot. Is that why you're here? Here now, Hugh? No. I stayed hoping to speak to you a little more. Something is afoot with this whole affair. I know it. I believe you know it, too. So you're going to keep digging? Harlan's detectives, they dig. They rifle and root. Truffle pigs. I anticipate the terminus of gravity's rainbow. Gravity's rainbow? It's a novel. Yeah, I know. I haven't read it, though. Neither have I. Nobody has. But I like the title. It describes the path of a projectile determined by natural law. 
Et voilà, ma méthode. Observe the facts without basis of the head or heart. I determine the arc's path, stroll leisurely to its terminus, and the truth falls at my feet. The medical examiner was ready to rule this a suicide, but Elliot agreed to keep it pending for 48 hours. Tomorrow morning, I search the grounds on the house, begin my investigation. I want you to be by my side for it. What? My confidant, my eyes and ears. Hey, wait, wait, Detective, why me? I trust your kind heart. Also, you're the only one who had nothing to gain from Harlan's death. So how about it, Watson? Hey, Detective, if you want my insight into the family, none of them are murderers. That's my insight. And yet, be it cruel or comforting, this machine unerringly arrives at the truth. That's what it does. Always? Tomorrow at 8. Unbeknownst to Marta, there is a tiny speck of Harlan's blood on her white shoe, indicating she was potentially in the room when his throat was slit. This isn't actually something that factors into the story, per se, but it's always overhanging everything. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, Marta agrees to assist in Blanc's continued investigation, thus allowing her the opportunity to conceal evidence of her actions as they search right. the property. Yeah, he's enlisted her as his assistant, really. Even referring to her as Watson. Yeah, it seems intentional. I think yeah. he realizes that she knows more than she's saying, which is confirmed at the end of the film. But he also trusts her innocence in a weird way. Right. She does seem like the most lovable person in this house. The first stop is the little security house mm -hmm. where they have all the cameras and stuff. M. Emmett Walsh replaced Ricky Jay, who died during production. A black and white photo of Jay is visible for a few seconds just before Walsh appears on camera. Ricky Jay is like a he was like a magician slash actor. He's okay. in a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson films. He's in Boogie Nights. Yeah. And Magnolia, stuff like that. A couple of the things that Marta is able to conceal as they're making their rounds is the security tape situation. She knows that she botched it at a certain point. She realizes. So she has a magnet in her pocket and she's like fucking with the tape <laughs> because for some reason they hand it to her. Yeah. Then there's the footprints that she's walking over and then she pretends not to hear them when they're saying stop and yeah. then she walks over them again. Exactly. And then there's a broken trestle from when she climbed back into the house and then she throws it to the dog. This will get brought back later and yeah. is well, it's unavoidable. Those, the way that scene is like staged, Benoit is not looking as the dog brings it over yeah. and then she like tosses it away again. Ransom finally arrives and you can tell right away that he's arrogant, he's an asshole. <laughs> he refers to Blanc as CSI KFC. <laughs> The dogs don't like him, which should be a pretty clear indication as to what we're supposed to take. Well, yeah, Benoit that. Blanc makes a comment that the dogs always know. And he even has a throwaway line here. It all connects. Everything is like set up and explained earlier, and you have to just pay attention. He says to the police, who refer to him as Hugh, and he says, only the help calls me Hugh, mm -hmm. which is his first name. This is peak Chris Evans, I think, this role. Oh, yeah. I know that... The Marvel fans out there are not going to agree with that, but I don't really think, despite his physique and his handsome face and everything, I don't think that he's really an action guy. This is where he is best. If they were still making 
romantic comedies, yeah, things of that nature, he would be the hero. He would be the love interest, but he should be the smarmy asshole. Now, I know that's not always a big part in those type of things, but that's clearly yeah, what I know. he's doing better. Here. He seems kind of like the friend from the romantic comedy, <laughs> like the dude's friend. Or the rival. Yeah. Or the asshole boyfriend that she's with at the beginning of right. the movie. <laughs> it's revealed here that because of Jacob doing something in the bathroom <laughs> the night of the party, that enough information is gleaned from the argument between Ransom and Harlan that Ransom was going to be cut out of the will. And this comes to light before the will reading. And this is the reason why he's at the house, presumably. However, it should be suspicious to the family that if he knows he's cut out of the will, why is he there? Why is he relishing this so much? Because he seems to be having fun entertaining himself here. Absolutely, yeah. So what's going on? Why is Ransom here? Yeah. If he knows he's cut out of the will, if he fought with Harlan about it. I can buy that he's showing up just to see what happens. Well, no, that is what that's what I'm saying. Right? Okay. He's, yeah. he's enter- like he's so entertained by this, like he wants to see how it's all going to play out. Uh-huh. He knows that it's going to go to Marta, he, so he wants to, right, revel in that because he thinks it's hilarious now. Yeah, because he's playing this game it's just, where he thinks he's going to come out on top in the end, so he just wants to see these fucking idiots exactly. flop around. Sometimes it's fun to root for chaos. Jacob was in that bathroom the night of the party. Oh, that's where you were all night. What the hell were you doing in the bathroom all night? Nothing. Swatting Syrian refugees. No, I was not. Alt-right troll. The bush snowflake. I don't know what any of that means. It means your son's a little creep. Oh, my son's a creep. Guys, just... <laughs> Walt, he was in the bathroom. Yeah, he was in the bathroom. Joylessly masturbating to pictures of dead deer. Oh, you know what, Richard? You want to go? You bet, Skippy, let's go. You want to go? Come on, oh, Ed. Oh, no, watch out, Ed. Stop. 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 I just heard two things. My will. And then there was more yelling. And then I heard Ransom say, I'm warning you. Ransom? What's that mean? I think it means our father finally came to his senses and cut this worthless little brat out of his will. So I guess you're gonna have to sell the Beamer and give your notice at the country club and kick whatever fashion drug you're on because if you think that after all the bridges you burned, after all the shit you said, after everything that you put this family through for the last 10 years, that any of us are gonna support you, that any of us are gonna give you, like Dad liked to say, a single red dime, you're nuts! Son, father, did Harlan tell you he was going to cut you out of the will? Yep. Well, and he's done what none of us were strong enough to do. 
Maybe this might finally make you grow up. This might be the best thing that could ever happen to you. Thank you. My mother, ladies and gentlemen. Look, this is not going to be easy for you, but it'll be good. Nothing good is ever easy. Up your ass, Joni. You've had your teeth in this family's tit for a long time. Up your ass? A very oh, nice. Matter of fact, oh my God. eat shit. No, no. What? How's that? No. Fact. Do not use that word in front of my son. Eat shit. Eat shit. Eat shit. I would slap that smug smile. Definitely eat shit. Eat shit. You can all eat shit. But when they're doing the story and Jacob is saying the things that he heard and he's like, and then I heard Ransom say, I'm warning you. And then Walt d- does that victory pose with his hands. <laughs> Michael Shannon is actually like pretty funny in this because I agree. When Ransom is telling everyone to eat shit and he's just going, You eat shit, you eat yeah, yeah, everyone's yeah. getting so mad. And then it was an improv line that you overhear like towards the end of that when Walt is saying, I will not eat one iota of shit. <laughs> Marta is unable to hide the broken trellis forever, and Blanc discovers the trick window. There's a trellis that leads to a window that seemingly is not in the hall, but there's a pretend wall. Hard to believe the point of said window. I know, like, this whole house is built off things from his books. Yeah. Is the juice really worth the squeeze here for this window? I think sometimes in the old days with big houses and mansions like this, they just did stuff for fun. Yeah, There really is no reason for a lot of it. Understood. I guess he didn't want to go with the secret passages because that's too Clue. True. (laughs) Which, by the way. How great is Clue? Clue is unbelievable. The mansion in Clue is so great, and the mansion in this is great. I do like the line when they just say the guy practically lives on a Clue board. Yeah. Or in a Clue board. However, since Blanc does find that trick window, he confirms someone came into the house who did not want to be heard on the steps because there is mud that was tracked in from the path to go along with the broken trestle. So clearly someone snuck back into the house. I don't know that he knows exactly what happened yet, but it's clear that there's more to this than meets the eye. Uh Uh-huh. Because why was someone doing that? When Harlan's will is finally read to everyone's shock, including hers, Marta is the sole beneficiary of it all. And when they read through the will, fucking Yoda reading the will, Frank Oz here. (laughs) Step by step here. They fixate, the camera goes to each group who yeah. wants the thing. So the house goes to Richard and Linda. Because Linda supposedly is successful on her own, even though we find out later that she got a million dollar loan. Uh-huh. To she's, start the company. So she's successful in the way that like a lot of the billionaires you have to hear about today. Right. You know, oh, their parents just started them out with a $500,000 loan or something. You're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. They want the house. Joni is concerned about the money, the 60 mil, because... Some of this is revealed in the film. Some of it's implied. Some of it was cut out. But her company, Flam, is in the toilet. There's a lot of problems. She doesn't really have any money. And I guess Meg's tuition is pretty expensive. Where did she also, go? I, I thought she said Smith. Yeah. yeah. Seems like Joni also probably has some expensive habits. Oh, yeah, for well, sure. sure. They're, They're all, all accustomed yeah. yes, to a certain way of life. lifestyle, especially when you see Ransom's house later. Oh, oh right. You're like, oh, oh he lives in like this super expensive, yeah. modern, designed house. How's he going to maintain this lifestyle exactly. now? And then Blood Like Wine Publishing Company, we focus on Walt, who was in charge of it. One of the things in the film is that Harlan never wanted to give his novels over to adaptations for film and television, and that's something that they would fight about a lot because there's a lot more money. Hilariously, Netflix mentioned. 
Because certainly 60 million is a ton of money. Yeah. But if he was doing film and television rights to all of his books, we would be talking about like 600 million yeah. probably or more. We'd be talking about like Stephen King money. Right. When the family realizes what's happened and that, then that Marta stands to inherit everything, it's a true panic moment for Marta. And again, similarly to the way we were talking about how Harlan didn't prepare his family for what was going to happen to them with the rug being pulled out, even though they're shitheads and they kind of deserve it. He didn't prepare her for this. He would have had to have known that even if he died under the most normal circumstances in six years Uh from that day, whatever, that this day was going to come someday and that she was going to be in the crossfire totally unprepared for what was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. To the point where she's having a panic attack, like a meltdown. Rightfully so. This whole family is raining a shitstorm down on her. And the knives finally come out, Uh more or less. They're screaming at her. The racism is not subtle anymore. Yeah, but the immediate accusations around like her using sex. Well, yeah, that would be the only logical explanation. I know. Were you boinking my dad? (laughs) All my assets, both liquid and otherwise... I leave in their entirety to Marta Cabrera. My entire ownership of Blood Like Wine Publishing, I leave in its entirety to Marta Cabrera. The copyright of its catalog, likewise, I leave in its entirety to Marta Cabrera. Uh, No. That's not... No. That's no, that can't be. No. Can I see that, please, Alan? That's right. Please. This can't be legal. It's right. He's, you know, he's been. Oh my he's God. been. They, aren't they're they're saying they're 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 I don't know what to say. We're his family, so. <laughs> it's not possible. <laughs> there's safeguards against it. <laughs> right. Fine. Something. I think you did You know, Alan, listen. In you know, he was on medication. He was on medication. Right. All right. Of All right. 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 Sorry. Uh, likewise, the house at Two Dearborn Drive and all belongings therein, I leave to Marta Cabrera. <gasps> oh. oh, you little bitch. You oh, uh, little Linda. bitch. Did you know about this? Were you in Wait, on this from the beginning? No, no, no. I just want to know. What were you? What were you doing? Were you boinking my father? Boinking? No, 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 no. I think everybody just needs to cool it. You had sex with my grandpa, you... Dirty anchor baby. And in the meantime, I'd maybe rub. Wait, 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 wait. Marta, how would you please? Ladies and gentlemen, please. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why he. I'm also confused. I need to think. Marta, are you listening? And as they're chasing her out of the house, there's that switch from the steady cam to the handheld camera, which is the one time in the film it's used. So you can really get in her head of like, mm-hmm. 
it's all pressing in on her and then it switches back to the steady cam once she's like in the car and safe and away from everybody but yeah that moment that claustrophobic moment of the camera up close and all the people surrounding her right. yelling at her she doesn't know what to do she's and then, on the ropes and then it's ultimately ransom that helps marta escape the family's wrath swooping in like a hero and whisking her away to a nearby restaurant but you never really feel like he's the hero. No. It always feels self-serving. Yeah, he always still feels slimy. Because he's putting on a whole act, a whole routine. He's talking about... It might be this sweater that he's wearing. The famous sweater, yeah. yeah. His sweaters in the film were definitely causing a stir <laughs> in 2019. It was a whole thing. Everyone was trying to buy sweaters like this, including me. <laughs> well, I've always been a fan of oh, that yeah. type, but then you see stuff and you're like, oh, man. Totally. But there's a certain lived-in quality. I think the production design was given the instructions from Johnson that they want him to look like he has really nice clothes, but that he doesn't take care of them. Mm -hmm. I know that they're trying to make him seem like maybe a dickhead, but that just makes someone seem endlessly cool. Yeah. Because it's one thing to have really cool shit, but it's another thing to have really cool shit that looks lived in. A little worn. Yeah, and like you don't give a shit. Right. Like, yeah, this is like a $300, $500, $700 sweater. Yeah. But it's a little ripped and frayed, uh-huh. whatever. And it fits great because I'm fucking muscular. I'm and Captain ripped. America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's talking about how on the night of the party, when he's being told the information by his grandfather that he's not going to get this money, that he experienced this moment of clarity and that he was going to have to change his whole life. See, and- I was almost expecting this scene that he was going to reveal a different conversation with Harlan. I, I don't know why. It just seemed like something else was going to unfold there because they build up this whole Ransom was his favorite thing. So I was still thinking something's going to work out positively with Ransom, but no, not the case. Yeah, it is weird. It's hard for me to picture an 85-year-old grandparent just giving up on their favorite relative. Like, Can you imagine Christopher Plummer's character doing that? And girl with the dragon tattoo. He can't let it go. <laughs> he cannot let her go. No, I know. It's the nature of the beast, though, because you're thinking these people are all shitty, but they're mm-hmm. sort of charmingly shitty because it's fun and they're movie stars and right. it's entertaining. But it is really tragic and sad when you think about this fucking dickhead who is supposedly has this fun love-hate but real relationship with his grandfather, and then this is what he does? Like... Jesus, it's so drastic. I know, really. While the rest of the Thromby clan badgers Harlan's legal counsel, Alan, Ransom manipulates Marta into confessing the truth of what happened. I will say, Marta, not one to hold up to interrogation. No. He very <laughs> slyly asks for an extra bowl before yeah. he launches into his whole <laughs> spiel. Patton Oswalt contacted Ryan Johnson after the film opened to ask if the needle drop of Gordon Lightfoot's sundown was an intentional reference because after she tells this story, because we don't really see her tell the story again, but then it cuts back to them at this restaurant and then Sundown is playing. Apparently, mm-hmm. the song is possibly about a groupie Lightfoot had experience with named Kathy Evelyn Smith, who's best known for being the one who gave John Belushi a fatal injection of heroin and cocaine in 1982. Oh. And so as... Johnson put it, and Patton, who is brilliant in his thinking in terms of 3D chess, is like, was that a crazy reference to Marta, who gave a fatal injection to Harlan? He doesn't really confirm or deny it. Okay, yeah. (laughs) 
Well, I kind of don't think so because. Well, probably not. But well, if people want to think that, I'm yeah. not going to like turn it down. Sundown was also in the Beach Bum, yeah. which was around the same time. And I know it was in. Wasn't it in like Django or one of those movies? Could it, be. I think these these songs they have representation almost as if they have their own agents and they get put out there. Right. Like they get pimped a little bit. And that's why all of a sudden Country Roads by John Denver was in like six things in one uh-huh. year. Like two movies, two commercials, two TV shows. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. It's because someone got on, you know, got a fire there's under their a, ass and like, here, we got to pimp this out. There's like a Black Friday sale on the rights. Yeah. I just think it was probably available. It's a cool song. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, it sounds good here. Ransom offers his help to Marta in exchange for a share of the inheritance in that moment, I believe Marta knows she's been tricked, but then receives a call from Meg that really pushes her towards Ransom. At least Ransom's being upfront about it because Meg does this whole thing. And uh-huh. I do think I they know. were trying to establish that Meg and her were close and Meg is like friends with Fran and yep. Meg's cool. There's she's a little the bit sympathetic of a, one. They're like contemporaries in some way. They're young women. But yeah, Meg is asking what she's going to do about the money and she pretends to be sympathetic and then of course we as the audience see the other side of the phone call right and the rest of the family is huddled around yeah. waiting it's such a bitch move it's as soon as marta kind of insinuates that she's not going to give up the money but that she would help meg pay her tuition meg just hangs up i on know her. it's like you couldn't you pretend to be nice really <laughs> by the way you could just lose this tuition it's dog eat dog right now the other thrombies all scramble to persuade Marta to renounce the inheritance with Walt, even sinking so low as to threaten to expose her mother's immigration status. Mm, dark. But then Marta receives a torn blackmail note with a partial photocopy of Harlan's toxicology report. Remember, this would potentially expose the lethal dose of morphine. And the note says, in handwritten black letters, I know what you did. Maybe an homage to I Know What You Did Last Summer. I did write that down as well. (laughs) I don't think so, but it's funny. It should be. By the way, I think at this point, they use this whole element as a big part of the storytelling and what would end up to like the final twists of the movie. But, well, hello, they're doing this toxicology report for the police. Is this not all going to come out regardless? Like, she's trying to prevent this from coming out at this point. Well... It depends. Okay. If, if the, they burn the place down, it won't. If the police just decide it's a suicide... They're not going to follow I up. don't know that anyone's going to pay that close attention yeah. to it. Because he didn't die from morphine. Right. I know that sometimes in film and television, everybody seems like they treat every case as if it's life or death <laughs> and we have to know the truth. But... The dude slit his throat. It's like The Wire where like everyone's getting mad about cases being reopened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's sort of what it is. Right. Like, this is open and shut. Yeah. We got this one. <laughs> Besides, it, it implies, though, that somebody knows what's going on and there's someone working behind the scenes. Even if you're thinking, oh, well, the specifics, like holding this note over her head, doesn't make a ton of sense because you think that it's going to come out anyway. It doesn't really matter what they're holding. True. It's just the fact that there's someone even doing it. Right, right. It means that someone is aware of what's happening, at least in her mind. Yes. So there's another player. So she gets back with Ransom, and they drive to the medical examiner's office. I guess that... I don't even know why they drive there, just to see what's going on. And they discover that it has been burned down. <laughs> You're like, okay. Someone's really 
ready to go to drastic levels. Right. Although now you're trying to even keep up with what the possible right. motivations for all these things could be. Because at this point, to the viewer, I don't know that you have enough information to piece this together. Well, you're yeah, thinking... you're kind of in Marta's perspective now. In her mind, this is open and shut. She did it. <laughs> yeah. Like, who else is trying to cover this thing up? Although I guess the way that Ransom keeps nudging her in various ways, at first he's you know he's saying, check your email, uh-huh. doing that stuff. But also... He's saying, well, now they have the only copy, so they have all the power. Right. You know, he's he's spinning yes, a narrative yes. for her to get upset and to think that there's someone pulling the strings here. Marta receives an email with an address and a time, presumably to meet the unknown blackmailer. However, Blanc and the police spot Marta and Ransom at the crime scene of the burned examiner's office, and a comedically terrible car chase ensues in... Marta's very slow Hyundai. Lakeith Stanfield is just like, that was the dumbest car chase of all time. (laughs) I like how she pulls into that alley behind the dumpster and then she's acting as if they got away and then they just are like right there. Knocking on the door. Yeah, I think that Ryan Johnson referenced Baby Driver maybe on the commentary. Well, yeah, I know that he's like, yeah, we we put that line in because after they did that in Baby Driver, I was like, why even bother with a car chase? Let's just make it really stupid. Yeah. At the conclusion of the chase, it's Ransom, though, who is arrested, much to Marta's surprise. Blanc explains that Harlan's mother saw Ransom climbing down from Harlan's room the night that he died. Remember, though, that in Marta's flashback, Great Nana saw her and called her Ransom. Right, and says, Ransom, are you back again? So as far as Marta knows, Ransom is being wrongfully detained at Mm -hmm. the moment. However... Marta is able to convince Blanc that she needs to make a stop so that she will still meet the blackmailer at the right time, assuming the person has the only surviving copy of the toxicology report due to the fire. This is the first time that Blanc mentions his donut thing, which will come up (laughs) later. (laughs) Really the climax of the movie is his talk about donuts. Yeah. There's a charming homespun weirdness. The southern hospitality the southern pace yeah of his style that makes it an interesting character and having someone from the uk do the character is also very strange he has like these weird moments of a jovial presence too yeah like he's entertained by life right at the rendezvous site which is an abandoned laundromat marta finds fran the housekeeper who we Talked about earlier. How does she explain what this one stop is she needs to make? She just says, I have to get something. In this seemingly well, she abandoned laundromat? She goes laundromat. next door. Yeah, I know. To the hair salon. So I'm right, sure that- and then walks to the hair salon, yeah. Blanc just thinks, oh, woman things. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. It's not polite to pry too much. Sure. When you're a gentleman and- That's true. She's and a lady. Is, yep. And he's not arresting her. That's right. So it's not really his business. No questions asked. He could have said no, but he yeah. said okay. So he's just like, all right, we'll do what you're going to do. He doesn't know what the fuck's going on. It's actually kind of funny because he's sitting in the car with his headphones in. I know. <laughs> I think he's singing like Liza Minnelli or something. And then the ambulance is coming. <laughs> but anyway, Fran's back. She's been drugged. Marta's medical bag is there. A lot to unpack in what Fran actually says here. Well, there's a couple moments with Blanc, and that is one of them, but also when he doesn't see the piece of the house earlier, where they kind of make him seem like he's oblivious to his surroundings, but it doesn't seem like he would be. Eh, I think you're reaching. Yeah. I think 
just because he's like highly intelligent and is a good detective doesn't mean he has eyes that yeah. go everywhere. Sure. He's only going to be able to look in one direction Intuition, at any one though. moment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> come on. So Fran says the word stashed. She says copy stashed. And then she says, mm-hmm. you did this, looking up angrily at Marta, who is baffled by what's going on. It is really confusing. But Marta, when she has the option to make any choice, makes the right one and performs CPR in an effort to save Fran's life. She then calls an ambulance and then eventually ends up having to confess to Blanc. Although though, already got yeah, this stuff out of Ransom. It seems as if Ransom has already informed on her back with... Elliot and Wagner. Against Blanc's better judgment, Marta decides that she's going to tell the Thromby family the whole truth herself, and since she caused Harlan's death, it would invalidate the will under the Slayer rule. You mean like OJ? Yeah, I did like the OJ stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so basically, if you are responsible for the person's death, even not criminally responsible... Then it would invalidate the will. So that's I was why surprised they say, by like, that. OJ. And you're right. And obviously they use like a real life case as a point of reference. But it, it seems like anybody can do anything in a civil suit. Yeah. Well, that's why people have those kind of yeah. things sometimes. Back at the mansion, Meg apologizes to Marta and mentions Fran's stash again, which clicks something into place for Marta. She finds a copy of the full toxicology report with Fran's pot and gives it to Blanc without reading it herself. When she's just about to confess and renounce the will in front of the family, Blanc stops her as he sees from the report that there was not, in fact, a shit ton of morphine in Harlan's system when he died. So now we don't know what the fuck is going on. Something is definitely not adding up. Uh The toxicology report does not implicate a mistake by Marta. In fact, the opposite. It means that, as we were alluding to, if he would have just listened to her, right, he would have been fine. But what does this all mean? What happened? It's time for the big donut speech, the oh, comeback, yes. the, re- the revisited of the speech, <laughs> which Johnson contemplated cutting, but Craig convinced him that it was good, and then he watched the actor deliver it and sold him on keeping the entire thing. Which is weird because I think it became one of the defining yeah. parts of the film. You could understand Johnson's self-doubt over it, though, because handled the wrong way, it could just come off as silly. Yeah, it walks that line right? where you're like, okay, I get that it's supposed to be funny. Like The audience in the theater should laugh and chuckle a little bit, but you don't want them to be rolling their eyes you too much. You need the confidence of a Daniel Craig. <laughs> I know. I definitely need it. Sure. So let's look at it. What does this mean? Who is this person? What happened? There has to be someone at the center of this who knew there was a crime, knew Marta was responsible for this crime, knew the contents of the will, and then also hired Blanc anonymously to expose the crime so that the will would be reversed and rendered null and void. Uh huh. Who is this person? It's well, who we thought. <laughs> yeah. It's not super shocking. Yeah, yeah. Because at this point in the film... Even though Richard, Linda, Joni, Walt, etc. are all very entertaining, there's a good 45 to 50 minute stretch where they are background characters. Sure. And they really do fade. And if you would have pulled one of them back into it, it would have felt weird. Right. Blanc reveals his deductions to Elliot, Marta, and even Ransom, who he has had Trooper Wagner retrieve. After Ransom learned Harlan intended to leave everything to Marta, he concocted an immediate plan 
which blew me away because, okay, in the flashback, we learn that Harlan tells him this in the office. That's why he storms out of the party. And then within minutes, he's concocted this plan of what to do. <laughs> I know. He's a yeah, genius. Really? If he would have actually put his mind to good, to better himself, maybe he wouldn't have needed Harlan's money. Because yeah. this is unbelievable to think of this. I did like that there was a little callback with Blanc here when he refers to the Nazi child masturbating in the bathroom. <laughs> joylessly masturbating to pictures of dead deer. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines. You return, careful to avoid the gate security camera range, then on foot up towards the house. You sneak in up the trellis so as not to be seen by the rest of the family who are still having their party downstairs. What you need to do will take moments, but it is essential that you are alone and undetected. You knew what medications Harlan took. You knew what Marta would be injecting him with that night. And you knew if Marta was responsible for his death, even unintentionally, the Slayer rule would nullify the change will and you would get your share back. You used the syringes in the kit to switch the liquids and the two medication vials. And as a final precaution, you took the naloxone, the life-saving antidote. No, 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 that's impossible. That is the truth. Hand me that vial of morphine. I'll show you. If, if he did that, if the meds were switched, then when I got them mixed up, I... I accidentally switched them back, so... I gave Harlan... The correct doses. Yes. But not accidentally. I taped over the label of these two vials. The vials themselves are identical. How'd you know this was the morphine? I just knew. You knew because there is the slightest, almost imperceptible differences of tension and viscosity between the two liquids. You knew because you'd done it a hundred times. You gave him the correct medication because you are a good nurse. And Harlan was... I'm sorry, Marta, but yes. Harlan was perfectly fine. His blood was normal. The cause of death was truly, solely suicide. And you are guilty of nothing but some damage to the trellis and a few amateur theatrics. In fact, if Harlan had listened to you and called the ambulance, he would be alive today. Damn. A twisted web. And we are not finished untangling it, not yet. Marta, when Great Nana spotted you climbing down the trellis, she said, Ransom, are you back again already? Are you back? Again, already, because earlier that night. Marissa, you're back. <laughs> Come on, Marta. This is stupid with two O's. Ransom swapped the contents of Harlan's medication vials and stole the antidote so that Marta would accidentally kill Harlan and thus become ineligible to claim the inheritance. But what he wasn't counting on was that Marta is such a good nurse 
that she actually gave Harlan the correct medication anyway, subconsciously recognize it by its viscosity, and she had only thought she had poisoned him after reading the label. When the death was reported as a suicide, which is not what Ransom expected, obviously, because who right. would have thought that his he was grandfather gonna was going to do throat. this? Yeah. He then anonymously hires Blanc to be able to expose Marta, believing himself to be the true mastermind all along, pulling everyone's strings. Fran ends up getting herself involved when she saw Ransom tampering with the crime scene during the funeral, which Ransom missed. And then she actually sent him the blackmail note, which he forwards along to Marta. But at that point, the blackmail note is a blessing because he believes this confirms the morphine overdose because he doesn't know yet that there wasn't a morphine overdose. So he thinks, okay, well, the existence of this note is actually good. Yeah, I mean, good for him being able to act on the fly here. It is a little weird trying to figure out the Fran of it all at this point. Yeah, this is something we did talk a little bit about before we started recording and how the movie goes out of its way to try to save Fran and make her not seem bad because they portray her motivations as pure, as if she's just going on a fishing expedition to see if Ransom really did do something. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it feels when they're setting it up because you're thinking, okay, if she's suspicious of Ransom and he's messing around with a medical bag while everyone else is at the funeral, why don't you just call the cops for Yeah, him? really. What the fuck are you doing? Tell the rest of the family. Because it makes it seem as if she's trying to set up a, rans- uh, a ransom. Uh, a blackmail. A black- blackmail for herself to profit off of this. Which, again, they don't go that route. They actually try to go out of their way to not do that to Fran in this, but... It's weird. Hard not to feel that way a little bit. He still thinks Marta has given Harlan the Tampa drugs. A blood tox report will prove her guilt. He goes to the will reading in high spirits, ready to see the family tear itself apart, secure in the knowledge it will be all undone when the tox report comes to light. And then, Marta's confession and everything turns on its head. He now realizes that Marta has committed no crime and the tox report will prove her innocence. The change will is gonna stand. He has lost. Unless, unless you decide. You're not gonna give up the money. You're not gonna give up the money. You've come this far. You've come this far. Just one step further. Just one last act. In for a penny, in for a pound. You decide you are in. Step one. Destroy all evidence of Marta's innocence. Step two. Send her the anonymous email with the late morning rendezvous time and deliver her the blackmail note. Step three, keep your appointment with Fran. Oh, I knew it. I knew you were a no good son of a bitch. I knew Harlan wouldn't just kill himself. Yes, Fran, you were right. I knew you were guilty as shit, and now you're gonna pay for it. Don't you come near me. Don't come near me! I'm warning you!
said. Marta will get the blackmail note. You'll put the pieces together for her. You'll guide her to the rendezvous. You'll make the anonymous call to the police. They will catch her there with the body and the burned evidence. Marta will get arrested for killing Fran and Harlan. She said you did this. She didn't say you did this. She wasn't talking about me. She said you did this. You did this. Because you made the help call you Hugh. Because you're an asshole. Eventually, though, Ransom realized Marta was not actually responsible for Harlan's death, but Marta still thought she was. And so Ransom forwarded Fran's letter to Marta and burned down the medical examiner's office to destroy evidence of her innocence rather than her guilt. He overdosed Fran with morphine, intending Marta to get caught with Fran's corpse. All I could really write about that was not a great plan by Fran. No. When we actually see what happened in that laundromat, you're thinking, what was your plan here, Fran? Yeah, I know. You're so vulnerable now. And he just walks in and kills her, basically. I guess she really undersold his commitment to violence. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. But still, once you're dabbling in those waters, you can't be leaving yourself open like that. And in reality, when Marta arrives on the scene... Fran was not saying you did this she was saying Hugh did this because Ransom makes the help call him Hugh because he's an asshole (laughs) because he's an asshole and it was Marta's kind heart that kept foiling the plan and now this is supposed to be replicated in that Go board game that she plays with Harlan because she's just interested in making pretty patterns and not beating him and that's why she always wins which I don't understand what that game is, so I don't really know what that means. Sure, same here. That's how she's living her life, being good and pure. She's not playing Harlan's game. She's not playing Ransom's game. She's just doing what she thinks is right, and that's why she keeps coming out ahead. Yeah. After a call from the hospital, Marta tells Ransom that Fran apparently has survived and will implicate him, causing Ransom to then confess to tricking her into killing Harlan. But then Marta vomits right in Ransom's face. No, bitch. Fran is dead. <laughs> yeah, it is great. And I will say, it was unexpected. I was totally buying that Fran was alive. Oh, you thought, yeah, that they're just going to wrap it up by Fran being alive. I wasn't exactly sure how it was all going to end, but I was buying the fact that Fran was alive. Yeah. And then he gets cocky. He's thinking, yeah. all right, all right, so you got me on attempted murder, so what? And then he lists some other right. things. like, oh. <laughs> It's like, well, you did burn down a... <laughs> fucking government building yeah (laughs) it might not be like the two years you're thinking it is it might be like 10 i don't know she's okay she's ready to talk trooper wagner if you could uh keep mr drysdale in custody while lieutenant elliott miss cabrera and myself we we go to the hospital and take Fran's statement all right up come on (laughs) i'm gonna say this just to you No cameras, no courtroom, just you, because you know it's true. We allowed you into our home. We let you watch our granddad. We welcomed you into our family. And now you think you can steal it from us? You think I'm not going to fight to protect my home? Our birthright? Our ancestral family home? (laughs) That is hooey. Harlan, he bought this place in the 80s from a Pakistani real estate billionaire. Shut up! Shut up! (laughs) With that... Kentucky Fried Foghorn Leghorn Draw. 
Yeah, I killed Fran, but I guess I didn't. So what do you have on me? Nothing. What, attempted murder? I get arson for the building and a few other charges with a good lawyer, which I have. I'll be out in no time. And then you'll see just how much hell I can wreak on your life, you vicious little bitch. That's right. Friend's dead. And you just confessed to her murder. Well, in for a penny. Trooper Wagner was recording the whole conversation. So Ransom freaks out. He grabs one of those knives off of the the knife sculpture thing. This part is absolutely insane. Attacks Marta with the knife. Lands on top of her with the knife plunging into her. Except it's a retractable stage knife. Which again, like everything else in this fucking movie, was already set up. By something yeah. Harlan said back, which right. is a little too on the nose, uh-huh. because why would you ever say this? But he's like, I'm afraid he wouldn't know the difference between a stage knife and a <laughs> real one or something. It's like, okay. It's a little too perfect. Yeah. But let's be real. So he almost kills Marta, doesn't, because it's a fake knife. Almost a huge, legendary botch by the law enforcement in the room Seriously. letting this happen. Yeah, How the fuck are there three men standing there? two of which are officially police, and they let this guy who is a murderer grab a knife and attack the person. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, I know. And it does sort of seem like she gets stabbed at first. The way that it's shot, it feels well, like... Well, yeah, they want, they want right. the fake out, yeah. yeah. Although, I have to say, I didn't really think... I'm not saying well, that I immediately you... went to fake yeah. knife, but okay. I was like, there's no way that she would just be dead or something. Yeah, I know. That just didn't fit with the vibe of the movie. But man, what a complete turnaround for Ransom in terms of life. You're going from just being this rich dude living in this luxury house to now you're fucked (laughs) and in jail. Ransom's arrested and taken away. Still playing it very cool, though, because even when Mm. he realizes the knife is fake, he just goes, shit. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like, well, I guess I'm fucked. Linda finds the note from her father regarding Richard's adultery with the invisible ink that you have to put the lighter under. And then Richard ends the film with a black eye, which I actually think they added in post. I don't think it's real. I don't okay. think it's like makeup or anything. Implying that she punched him. And yeah. Richard's fucked too, which Ransom revealed to Marta earlier in the film. Right. Because he's got nothing. He's out the club now too. And Linda has her own real estate company, but it's hers, and it's in her name. Yeah. How much of those other two siblings going to be trying to jump on board now? Well, Joni's not a sibling. Oh, that's true, yeah. <laughs> She's had her teeth on the family teeth, or whatever yeah. Ransom says. <laughs> yeah, it does feel like Joni really stayed a part of the Thromby clan because she realized it was a good gig. True. Like That's yeah. where the money was, not just to keep her... That's like that close to her grandfather. Dude that used to be married to Courtney Kardashian. That's like somehow on their TV show still. <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's not, not Travis it. Barker, I'll I'm tell you that. I'm not in on that. Okay. 
Blanc confirms that he was suspicious of Marta all along because he noticed the blood spot on her shoe and the portrait of Harlan in the house, which has had sort of a non-committal face, a stern face, is now changed mm. to be smiling, which is yes. kind of dumb. But yeah. the portrait wasn't finished, and so it's all digital <laughs> anyway. Okay. right. It's almost like that bit in Wish Upon a Star that you didn't even <laughs> notice that I was like, that kid's face was changing in that picture oh, over yeah. and over. <laughs> and then at the end, she's standing up above on the balcony of the house, looking down on the family in the driveway who are completely baffled and don't know what to do. And she's Just, holding that mug. Yeah, Harlan's coffee mug. The My House mug, which I guess wasn't intentional at first, and then they realized it would be cool, and then she happened to be holding it that way so that you just see My House. Like oh. It wasn't really as planned out as it seemed, I guess. Oh, okay. Which sounds like bullshit, but yeah. that's, that's the story they're sticking to. <laughs> <laughs> Working out the mechanism by which to handle and explain Marta's switching up of the drugs is the script element that kept Ryan Johnson frustrated the longest. He said, I need something where both she and the audience crucially need to believe that she has messed up and through her error has killed him, but it needs to be something that I can effectively undo at the end of the movie. He says he went through lots of overly complicated variations before settling on the finished element. Now, if you would have asked me before rewatching it for the podcast how this played out, I thought that he literally just took the stickers off and switched the stickers on the vials. But mm. they then actually do show you that he used a syringe and literally switched them. Right. Yeah, I Which couldn't remember that detail. I guess makes more sense, but I think the thing that confuses me is there's that part when Blanc is doing his whole big speech and putting it all together. He takes like tape and tapes over. Right, that does make you. And it think makes it, that it's but just it looks a like the switch. stickers. Yeah, or something. I agreed. Like, yeah. Oh, is is that that how was in my head too? They peel off. Right. That kind of a thing. Yeah, it was a a breath of fresh air in the theater. I was I was excited to see it on Thanksgiving a couple years ago, and I know we're like broken records at this point but it does really feel like the sort of thing that is very rare these days and i know that right now as we're speaking we're in the middle of the very short theatrical window for glass onion the sequel but even besides that just in general Uh hollywood doesn't want to really want to take many chances on 40 million dollar movies like this and this movie probably does need to be in that range because of the cast because of the look of it and everything else. It's not a movie you can necessarily make for super cheap. So that mid-range movie is the thing that has primarily disappeared and it's left a real wasteland in the theater without it. I know, it's tough. And yet, it was refreshing to see this. Great script, great acting, it's fun, it's weird, it's puzzling. We don't get a lot of original IP like this now. I'm such a fucking idiot too. For whatever, I'm so dumb sometimes. Like, <laughs> I hear the way me? Benoit Blanc talks in yeah. the movie, and I'm like, oh, this movie takes place in the South, even though no oh, one yeah. else talks right. like that. And they make fun of him for yeah. talking like that. I will and say. And it's cold. Yeah, yeah. But that, um, so then when I was reading, oh, I'm like, oh, this is supposed to be like Boston and Massachusetts and stuff. Just completely over my head the first time I saw it. I will say the accent is jarring. This time, not so much, but when I first saw this in the theater, if I did, maybe I didn't see this in the theater. Well, it's one of those things where an actor makes a big choice, and sometimes it works. Sometimes it's awesome, and you get a memorable character that they're really digging into, and you have to go on that journey with them. It's not traditional. It's not 
within the the normal boundaries. But yeah, I think that they've settled on the right version of the character because I think to play yeah. this specific character, if you take away the accent, I think you're losing something. Yeah, yeah. I think you need that specific hook that right. draws you into this. And I will say by the second time I see it, it feels totally normal, which is a testament to it. Yeah. It jumped out to me, felt a little off the first time, I think mostly for the surprise element, but then by the second viewing, oh yeah, this is totally normal. Yeah. It's pretty cool that Daniel Craig has been able to be James Bond, but not be defined by that. Like a lot of other actors, I think, kind of were, more or less, even though I know they have careers outside of it. But yeah. I don't know. When I think of Pierce Brosnan, for example, I think, okay, he was James Bond for a couple of movies. That's really the first thing I think of. Definitely. But Daniel Craig also seems like he brings something to these movies on the back end, too, not just as an actor, but he seems to kind of be pitching ideas. Some of that came out in Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as well. Right, yeah. He played a, a Southern-type, I think more West Virginia-style guy in Logan Lucky, which I think the, the joke with that was... Ocean's 7-Eleven, and this is CSI okay, KFC. Yeah. As we've alluded to a couple of times, the big thing that came out of Knives Out was that in March of 2021, Netflix paid $469 million for the rights Wow! to two standalone sequels written and directed by Johnson, with Craig reprising his role as Benoit Blanc, and then the first sequel, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, is out now. And we'll be on Netflix before the end of the year. I guess we are going to have to wait till it's on Netflix. I don't really foresee us rushing out at this point. We've sort of missed our chance. Yeah, that's okay. I'm not a huge fan of that title, only because of the A Knives Out mystery part of it. Yeah. Like, it's not necessary. I think in every advertisement you can say it's part of Knives Out and just keep mentioning it. But the official title should just be Glass Onion. I'm interested in watching it. It always feels like it's inevitably going to be derivative of the first one but we'll see i do see a lot of people giving it high scores on letterboxd so (laughs) yeah i think it's being met with positive reviews i'm sure it's fun and everything but yeah it's trying to recapture that whole agatha christie vibe where there's just a lot of different mysteries and how do you piece it all together well and i always think it's tough when this is something you gave the backstory on it this is a passion project of ryan johnson's that he's been working on for a long time then all of a sudden you're on like a tighter crunch and it's just hard to feel like you can be as successful under yeah, those circumstances. True. Yeah, well, I think we'll be talking about Ryan Johnson some more in the future. We're definitely big fans of his first film, Brick. Oh, yeah. Which is an awesome movie that I think we'll talk about at some point. All right, so in the interest of keeping this nice and tight, we are going to forego recommendations, but we will be back next time with another listener request to round out the 2022 slate of LRs, as I refer to <laughs> Oh, them. okay. We're doing that now. A yeah. new acronym for the show. So stay tuned for that, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We've got a jam-packed December coming, and we are marching towards episode 300, which is something that I never could have possibly imagined would ever have happened with this stupid show. To, yeah, defying the odds for sure. Especially when you go back and you listen to those first <laughs> however many. Yeah. 299. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Holy shit, what were we thinking? <laughs> but yeah, so 
thanks for listening as always it's been a fun run we love hearing from everyone follow us on twitter at greatest pod if you'd like a sticker you can let us know there and we'll send that to you you can rep the show and find us on letterbox zach1983 and matt crosby on there and i think that'll do it for knives out thanks to eric for the listener request we enjoyed it hope it was short enough for you i think we did all right yeah thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week
donate $5 and you get a thank you email. $50 gets you a t-shirt. $100 gets you a t-shirt and a thank you email. 